following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. What brings a man to his knees? That's the question. What brings a man to his knees? Sounds like a line of a country song to me. When I heard it, I was like, man, it sounds like a line of a country song. What brings a man to his knees? I don't know. Um, that's what, you know. Um, I immediately go to loss, and as soon as I go to loss, I immediately think about some of the things that happened yesterday, and oh my goodness, okay? <laughs> we'll see each other after church. <laughs> you know, it was a tough day, for, tough day for the home team yesterday. It was a tough day. They, they looked terrible. That's, George said it best earlier. He said, they looked terrible. They did. And so did Texas. Okay. But uh, we'll just move on. We'll, we, can take the, we can take the loss. We can take the loss. It's fine. It's fine. They played terrible. That's what they get for playing terrible. So loss. Loss will bring a man to his knees. Think about a few different things that bring a man to his knees. You can formulate your own list. Uh, some of the things that comes to me uh, was, uh, was uh, moments of deep respect and valor and honor. We just, we just celebrated some veterans that were in the room. Man, anytime you know you watch some you watch some war movies, you come in contact with some people that really got out and did some things and 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 really stood up and fought for freedoms. And man, sometimes it just makes me, you know, I'm kind of like, what was that? You know, that's kind of kind of messed with me there a little bit. What brings a man to his knees? What brings a man to his knees? Is it uh is it is it hurt? Is it overwhelming helplessness? And just just stuck and just feeling just feeling helpless. And it's just pressing down and overwhelming. What brings a man to his knees? Is it seeing something that he labored for his whole entire life getting getting just stripped from him? Man, I've, I've, I've lived enough life, I've spent some time with some older guys that, man, they have used their hands and they have really accumulated and they have worked hard and the plan that they had, man, the bank changed that plan. Um, uh, somebody, somebody swept in beside them and, and did them wrong and it changed the plan. Their own health, their own health changed the plan. Man, things that they worked so hard for, what brings a man to his knees? I've never experienced one of these next two at all but the loss of a spouse or a child. I'll tell you that I've spent some time, some close time with some, with some guys that uh, they've lost a spouse or a child. And man, it'll kind of it'll cut a man down. It'll cut a man down. What brings a man to his knees? Throughout history, empires have come and gone and, and rose and fell, and they've been brought to their knees. Uh, the Persian Empire, to start. The Roman Empire, that was probably one of the largest, right? Maybe next to... The one that we're in right now. The Spanish Empire, the British Empire, the Russian Empire. The downfall of an empire usually results in decades of corruption on all levels. Maybe now would be the appropriate time just to pause, step back, and say, hey, we just need to pray for our country right now. Because we get all kinds of wound up about this. Occasionally it takes place quickly. But more or less it usually takes place over a series of time. That corruption s- sneaks in and things begin to crumple away over time. Most, most definitely a power that 
predates all of those that we just mentioned would be Egypt. It would be Egypt. You can't talk about ancient history without mentioning Egypt. Many of the, the, the monuments uh, of their power that sur- survived today. You know, there's some of the things that people want to get out there and they want to see because, man, they, they, they are just incredible. Those statues and different things that was built during that time. Exodus 7.11 details the fall of Egypt's greatness. Though in the next 12, 1,200 years or so, they would reign and, and stand and have some wealth, but never again reach the prosperity that they enjoyed during following the leadership of Joseph. Some of that came from Joseph's wisdom and God's blessing through Joseph, and later the heights reached by Egypt were carried on the backs of the Israelite slaves. So here's the setup. As we get ready to move into the text, we're going to cover a chunk of text today. It might be best if you just have your Bible open yourself. We're going to be reading out of the New American Standard. That's what I'm going to attempt to read out of today. Okay, going to be studious. Going to attempt to read it. But if your if your text doesn't match, um, that's that's why. Okay. Um, so here's kind of the setup. The setup is um, God's had it with uh, with Pharaoh. God's had it with Pharaoh. Um, in, in more than one way. One, he's, he's holding his people, the Israelites, captive. He's building his empire on their backs. He's not allowing them to, to worship him freely. And so he sends Moses and Aaron uh, telling them this. You tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he gives them this kind of weird, this kind of weird introduction as they as they approach him and they talk the first time. And he said, this is what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to put your staff on the ground. The staff's going to turn into a snake. And as they do that, and as they approach Pharaoh for the first time, they, the, the staff turns into a snake. You, you might have heard this story before. And Pharaoh summons his magicians, his sorcerers. And they have staffs, and, and their, their staffs are turned into snakes as well. But then one of the staff snakes prevails and eats all the rest of them. Take a guess which one. And if that didn't, if that wasn't the hint to the beginning of what's getting ready to happen, boy, Moses is a prideful, you know, or not Moses, uh, Pharaoh is a prideful man. You know that he was seen as a God? That he was also seen as a God? Now you might say, well, that would be strange. Why would they see somebody as Pharaoh as a God? But do we not see that same kind of thing take place still? And politicians and world leaders, there are probably, probably some that are out there right now that are different world leaders that are seen as a, as a God amongst some. But that's what's taking place. And God makes it clear that he will not be trifled with. Not from Pharaoh, the false god. Not for any other of the false gods that the Egyptians are worshiping. Today we're going to look through a series of texts that walks through some of the supernatural plagues. My notes are not all in one place today, okay? So we're going to have to go back and forth a little bit. So get your Bibles. We're about to be studious. We're going to be intaking some, intaking some word today, okay? So if that's not where you're at, say a little silent prayer. Wake yourself up and let's get in it. Uh, the first of these. Exodus chapter 7, uh, 
19 through 21. Chapter 7, 19 through 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over the streams, and over the pools, and over their reservoirs of water, and they will become blood, and there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of food, or in vessels of wood, and in vessels of stone. So Moses and Aaron uh, did even as the Lord had commanded, and he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile, in the uh, sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of the servants, and all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was uh, through all of the land of Egypt. Uh, I mean, I can't even imagine seeing that kind of blood. I can't even imagine being surrounded by that kind of blood. Uh, the bloody Nile, that was the first. That was the first of the plagues. Now, this also was directly related, and this isn't in Scripture, but this is directly related to a, a god of the Nile, a water god that they would have worshipped, called Happy. Uh, they, they sacrificed to this God. They sang hymns of sorts to this God. Um, and now they find themselves in a position where they have no good water supply. They, they're, they're, they're literally going out to the desert and digging holes looking for water because all the water they have has been turned to blood. We're going to start into a sequence of events taking place. Aaron and Moses going to... Uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh then after an event takes place comes back and says make this stop you know and then they're, and they're reminded they remind him again this is what the Lord wants let my people that's your line let my, let my people go let my people go and which and, and Pharaoh responds um, different various ways we're going to see uh, but the same result continues to take place. Uh, next up we're going to look at uh, chapter 8, verse eight through, or 5 through 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the, over, the, uh, over the rivers and the streams and over the pools and make the frogs come up from the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same in their secret, with their secret arts, making frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may remove the frogs from me and from the people, and I will let the people go, and they may sacrifice to the Lord. The frogs started to get at him just a little bit. Okay? He's like, hey, make the, make the frogs go away. You know? But if you notice, even his magicians, they, they come up with some frogs too. They come up with some frogs too. And so Moses does it. They, uh, they, uh, they, uh, you know, the, Lord, the Lord ceases the, the, the frogger game. And he, he stops it, says that the frogs were so thick, even in, their, even in their kneading and making of food, frogs were there, okay? And then, then you, you get to the end of this, and if you read on, it says that there were so many frogs, it says that they, they piled them in heaps. They piled the frogs in heaps, and the land became foul, okay? Uh, so it was not froggy, it was foul in the end. Um, next up, well, let's, let's just talk about the god that's associated with that, Hekik. Uh, she was a uh, she was kind of a god of of midwives. She was a frog god, not necessarily a fertility god, but a god of but a but a but a god of children. Okay, and so remember, God will not be trifled with. So these plagues have something to do also with the gods, not just Pharaoh, the god of the the, the false god of the Egyptians at the time that was leading them and reigning them, but also to the false gods that were being worshipped in their culture. Um, next up. Um, Chapter 8, 
16 through, let's see, 16 through 19. Then the Lord said to, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become, so that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. So they did, Abraham stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dirt, dust of the earth and there were gnats on men and beasts and all the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. Um, so there were gnats uh, on man and beast. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is interesting, verse 19, this is the finger of God. So the magicians are coming, they're starting to come up short now. His sorcerers and his magicians, they're starting to come up short. It's like, hey, there's something else going on here. This is, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So, again, this back and forth between, between um, Moses and Aaron and, and Pharaoh. Let my people go. Uh, no, um, not, not yet, but the bugs are starting to bug him. Okay, maybe that's where we get the name bug, because, because they bug, and we, we start to see that take place. 18, uh, chapter 18, verses, uh, those, if it's worth mentioning, those, uh, those gnats, uh, some commentary said it was more like lice, so it's just so, so many bugs. They were so thick that the Egyptians were all, you know, they were kind of germaphobes just a little bit, and they, were, they, they had shaved themselves. So they, they got rid of all their hair, okay, to, to help deal with this. The, you know, this, this was a bad problem. This was a problem that was going on. Um, let's see, chapter, chapter 8, uh, 20 through 21. Now the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go. And they may serve me. For if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and all your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they dwell. And I, I had a, you know, I, I don't know if I call it a swarm, but I had a little gathering of flies that would visit my patio towards the end of the summer. I don't know if you, flies were kind of tough this summer, and so, you know, but from my, they bugged me, okay? These are swarms. The, the Hebrew word here is literally swarms, okay? Sometimes it's a little different and we gotta do a little work there, but it's literally swarms, swarms of flies, swarms of flies. Um, again, the, uh, these were closely related to a uh, scarab beetle uh, that was a symbol of immortality for the Egyptians. Again, God is attacking a false god. He's attacking a false god. He's not just showing his deity to Pharaoh and who he is, to his sorcerers, which have already backed up and said, this is the finger of God, like something's up here. But, but to the Egyptian people, he's showing his power and strength by beating their false gods, each one of them. Uh, verse, uh, let's see, let's look at 24 and 25 there. Uh, then the Lord did so. And there came a great swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and the houses of the servants in the land that was, uh, and the land was laid waste because of swarms of flies in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. Verse 28, Pharaoh said, I will go, uh, I will let you go and you will, and that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Not only shall you go, uh, only you shall not go very far away. Make supplication for me. Um, verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time, and he did not let the people go. Okay, 
So the bugs have really started to bug Pharaoh. And what we begin to see is we begin to see four of Pharaoh's compromises. So remember what, what Moses is, what God is, 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 is uh, asked Moses to ask is to let my people go. That's man, wife, children, and herds. So man, wife, children, and herds, all of them, my people, their possessions, let them go. And there's, there's four different compromises. I'm just going to blow through them real quick if you're interested. The first one uh, is in verse 25 here. It's go and sacrifice to your God in the lands. Go and sacrifice to your gods in the lands. Which uh, immediately in verse 28 said, uh, you shall go and sacrifice to the Lord, but don't go far. So he wanted them close still. So, and, but still, Moses is coming back and he said, no, that's, let my people go. God said, let my people go. Not just me. Not just my, my sacrificing to the Lord, but let my people go. Uh, the next one we would see later on in chapter 10, uh, verse 8, now go, to, now, uh, go now the men among you and serve the Lord. So he was willing to release the men then, and he was also dealing with bugs then. And then later on in chapter 10, verse 24, go serve the Lord, but leave your flocks and herds. So those were the four compromises that kind of jumped ahead just a little bit there. You'll probably see them when we get a little closer to them, but those are the four compromises. Um, the flies made it even more clear that these, uh, that these miracles were not natural calamities, okay? The, they begin to realize that these are not just natural circumstances that are taking place here, okay? It's not just a little bit of a bad weather day or something like that, like, and the mosquitoes are kind of out this evening. It's not one of those kind of things. Like, these are not natural things that are taking place no more. They're beginning to see that. They're beginning to see that the, these were, were clear miracles that were taking place. Um, next up, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them uh, go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with, uh, sev- with very severe uh, pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field and in the, uh, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, on the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that, not, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. He says, tomorrow this is going to happen. It happens. It happens. The livestock dies. Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh reached out, Pharaoh sent, behold, there's not even one of the livestock of Israel dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Um, the goddess here, uh, uh, Hathor, the cow goddess, the goddess of love, okay, the goddess of love. So once again, a, a Egyptian goddess being attacked as God continues to show his deity to not just Pharaoh, but the whole Egyptian people. Uh, chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handfuls of shoot from the kiln, and let Moses throw it towards the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and will become bulls breaking out with sores on man and beast uh, through all the land. So they took the, the shoot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it towards the sky. It became boils that broke out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because all of them had boils. The magicians couldn't, they, they had boils, okay? They couldn't even stand and, and get in the middle of this anymore. Um, for the boils were on the uh, magicians, I about said uh, uh, 
musicians, magicians, as well as on the Egyptians. That's a tough line to say if you're trying to read real fast. <laughs> um, and the, Lord, uh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had spoke to Moses. I just want to stop here for just a moment and point something out that we've seen right there in verse 12. It said something about Pharaoh. It said, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I think it's worth stopping and just kind of bumping over this. Because I don't know about you, but I've heard, I've heard, I've heard it almost sp- spoke of in a, in a way that didn't seem right, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You ever heard that? But here's the deal. As we look at that, and as we look at the text, I think we, I think we see that this is not just God's bidding that Pharaoh's heart is hard, okay? That Pharaoh had responsibility in Pharaoh's heart being hard. Because the scenario the other way wouldn't make things sound very fair for Pharaoh, would it? And God is a just God. So let's look, at, let's look back at a couple of those verses. Uh, 7.11 says, Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It doesn't say who hardened Pharaoh's heart there. It just said it was hardened. Let's look at 8.15. But when Pharaoh saw this, saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. 8.32, but Pharaoh hardened uh, his heart this time. Pharaoh hardened his heart. I would say that it's fair to say Pharaoh had a whole lot to do with Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And we shouldn't just put that all on the Lord and say, well, that wasn't really right for Pharaoh. No, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. I'm not going to say that God didn't have responsibility in that because we also see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But if we look at Paul's writing in Romans, Romans 1, verse 24, we see that Paul is writing... to a group of people that continued to continue to reach for the desires of their heart and the lusts of their heart. And my question right here is, is uh, can man's heart still be hardened? Can man's heart still be hardened? Well, I think you know good and well that you can harden your heart. So what's God's response to that? Well, Romans 1, 24 says, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their heart, to the impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to the depravity of their mind to do those things which are not proper. Well, God gave them over to their desires because they hardened their hearts. They hardened their hearts. They would not allow their hearts to be soft towards God and towards God's direction for their life. God will not be trifled with. Let's see. And and, uh, I think it's worth mentioning here and, and, and just remembering that, that Pharaoh was seen as a god of sorts to the Egyptians. 
and God will not be trifled with. He's going to continue to come for his people. All right, chapter 9, verses 20 through, 22 through 27. Chapter 9, verses 22 through 27. You ever seen my truck? I'm guessing you have. <laughs> I'm not a golf dad yet, okay? And it, but it only, hurts, it only hurts the pride of the driver, okay? It really, it only hurts the pride of the driver. Now the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky, that hell may fall on all the land of Egypt. On man and on beast and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt, Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hell, and fire rained down, from, uh, down to the earth, and the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. Uh, so there was hell and fire flashing, continuing the mist of the hell, very severe, uh, such as not had been in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Uh, so the hell just continues to beat everything down, every plant in the field is, is, is just beat down, every tree of the field. Uh, verse 27, then Pharaoh uh, sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time, the Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. This is interesting. It's interesting uh, that, the fear, that, that hell brought the fear of Pharaoh's own sin and own questioning where he was at with God and what was going on to, to Pharaoh. Um, well, hell is something that will get our attention, isn't it? Uh, now, something, something that's interesting there is that the, the, the sky goddess, uh, her name was Nut, okay? Um, this was also another, another god that was attacked. Um, this area, when it comes to storms like this, like we're in the middle of the desert. So rainstorms and hailstorms, that's not something that took place. They had dust storms, okay? They had sandstorms. And so to experience this for them, and some of them, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't believe that it was going to happen. They didn't believe that what Moses was telling them was going to take place. And they kept their, their slaves and servants out working. They kept their livestock out working. And everything that was out absolutely got pummeled. It absolutely got pummeled. Um, but once again, verse 34. But when Hero saw that the rain and the hell and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. All right, moving on. Uh, chapter 10, verses 12 through 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of, uh, of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all that the hell had left. So he's about to send locusts, okay? Now, I don't know if you've heard of locusts, but if there's just like one or two, and I'm trying to do something, and just that noise... But I can't imagine the land being covered with locusts to the point that, it, that they destroyed everything that was left that the hell didn't possibly destroy. The locusts are now devouring. Locusts came up all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. Uh, they were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts, nor will there ever be so many again. 
for they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hell had left. Now remember, this is one of those times, we're back to the bugs. We're back to the bugs. And this is bugging Pharaoh, and he's about, he, he sends a compromise again, okay? He sends a compromise. Um, that, uh, it's at verse 16, Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord uh, your God and against you. Now therefore, please give, uh, forgive my sin only this one time and make supplication to, to the Lord your God that he may only remove this death for me. Um, but again, that's not what Moses is asking for. Moses is asking for, let my people go. Let my people go. The men, the women, the children, the livestock. Let my people go. All right, uh, chapter 10, verse 21 through 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there will be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. A darkness that, which, that can be felt is a spiritual darkness. Now, my wife does not like any scary movies at all. If it's got any scare in it, she had nothing to do with it. I'm like, it's just a movie, hon. It's just a movie. And she's like, I'm not, I don't, no dates with the devil for me. There's something dark. There's something dark about it. I don't want nothing to do with it. A darkness that can be felt is what's taking place. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was a thick darkness on all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. But that's not the deal. The deal is let my people let my people go. Let my people go. This is a darkness that could be felt. Amen, the chief chief among the gods of the Egyptians, the sun goddess or the sun the sun god, would have been the god that's that's being hammered at right now. Let's continue on. Uh, chapter eleven verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and, and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, you will surely, uh, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman uh, from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of people. They're starting to get a little respect here. They're starting to get a little respect here. Verse 4, Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I'm going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even the firstborn of the slave girl behind the millstone, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there will be a great cry in the land of Egypt, such as there has never been before, and such as there will never be again. But against any sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark. Let's pick back up in uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, 
Go and take for yourself a lamb according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hippos and dip in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the doorpost and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians and when he does the blood on the lintel on the door on the doorpost uh, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house and smitten you. And you shall observe this event uh, as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And when you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, what does this rite mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the house of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he uh, uh, smote the Egyptians, but, uh, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the, son, the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron to do so. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who was set at the throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was, at the dungeon, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead for there was no home in Egypt where there was not someone dead what brings a man to his knees what brings a man to his knees you can imagine the sense of loss that was experienced that night the children taken their children taken I can't imagine. And then, if we read on down, verse 31 and 32, then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up. Get out from among my people, both of you, and the sons of Israel, and go worship the God. Go worship the Lord, as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go and bless me also. God's point is finally made. What brings a man to his feet? Or to his knees? What brings a man to his knees? We're working towards Christmas time. We're working towards Christmas time. So where does Jesus fit into all this? That's the question. Where does Jesus fit into all this? Where does he fit best? Is, is, is it Moses, the mediator? He, he kind of prefigured Jesus as a suffering servant when he asked his own, uh, that his own life be blotted out for the sake of a nation. Where does Jesus fit into this? Is he God, Savior? Where does Jesus fit into this? Is he Passover a lamb? The atoning sacrifice? Where does Jesus fit into this? We're working towards Christmas. The Israelites needed a Passover lamb to atone for their sin. They did it a messy, bloody way that God, that God commanded them to. And he kept his word. They did as he instructed. They put the, they put the, the blood on their doorposts and on their lentils. And during that night, they, they were spared as the Lord passed over them and seen them as clean because 
They did as he asked. The Israelites needed a Passover lamb for the atonement of their sins. They expected a king to rise up against the Egyptians, against Pharaoh, and punish them for how they had been treating them. And that happened, but it happened through a suffering servant. And his name would be Jesus. Where does Jesus fit into this for us? We need a Passover lamb to atone for our sin once and for all. We, looking back, expected a suffering servant. You know what? We got a king. His name is Jesus. We got a king. His name is Jesus. Biblical definition of atonement, that's our word. That's our word. That's our word for the week. If you follow along in the Core 52 stuff, it's chapter 15, atonement. I didn't even hardly touch it. And there's some good stuff in there this week. Check it out. There's some, there's some really good stuff. Make you think, make you think about, about some things in our own nation, our own country. Biblical definition for atonement is this you owe a debt and somebody else paid it for you. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, as I, live, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess. One way or another, every knee will bow. Every man will be brought to his knee. You can see what it took in, for Pharaoh. You can see what it took for the Egyptians. Worshiping false gods. Is there false gods that creep into our lives? Is the false god myself? Am I on the throne doing what I want to do? Or is Jesus on the throne? Let's go back to that definition for a minute. You owe a debt and somebody else paid it for you. So... This, this young man, uh, he found himself in a, in a position where, he, and, the, and the position was this. Uh, the position was um, he, he, there wasn't just misfortune that had taken place in his life, okay? You follow? There was some wrongdoing taking place. And so this young guy, he, he finds himself in a, in a position where he's, he, he doesn't own anything, he has nothing. He, he doesn't, so he do, do, doesn't have anything, doesn't have any means to get anything. Uh, this, young, this young man found himself in trouble with the law. And there was debts to be paid. There was debts to be paid. And I can tell you what brought that young man to his knees was the love of the Lord. Because that young man is me. I'm not so young anymore. But I'm asking you, what, what brings a man to his knees? It was God's love shown through Christians' lives that interjected in my heart. And I hadn't experienced that. And I hadn't experienced that. I hadn't experienced that right there ever before. 
you owe a debt and somebody else paid it with no strings attached. And that's what Jesus has done for us. The, the sin in our lives separate us in a, in a way that we cannot bridge that gap. We cannot bridge that gap. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. And it's only through Jesus that we can come in contact with God. We'll never stand in his presence without Jesus. We'll never be made right without Jesus. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've heard that, right? You know that. I've heard that. I look, take a good look at myself and I'm like, well, I know it's true for me. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a perpetuation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passes over the sins previously committed. Jesus' blood allows God to pass over our sin, to atone for our sin. That happens if you have a relationship with Jesus. That happens if believe, confess, repent, and be baptized are part of your life. You don't get to be God. You don't get to serve a false God. God will not be trifled with. He's a just God. He's a perfect God. And his love is perfect. Back to that question, what brings a man to his knees? What we can see, we can see from Pharaoh and the Egyptians that a powerful, powerful man can be brought to his knees. I think if we're honest, as we start to sort ourselves, we know our inadequacies. We know where we've been. We know what we've done. And some of us in here know what God has done for us. I mean, that love and that forgiveness brings us to our knees. If you haven't experienced that, if you've got questions about that, there's no other conversation that I would be interested in having in conversations about your personal relationship with Jesus and how you come in contact with the blood of the Passover lamb that once and for all made things right. 